0: I think it's worth, uh, as as I greet you this morning, paying attention to the fact that that it's an all-volunteer worship team. And uh, all-volunteer, our tech team, uh, we are so blessed by your leadership. Thank you. And As always, what we see on the platform is only a small part of the work and heart behind that. So, uh, praise God for that. Uh, Let's unite our hearts together in prayer, and let's take the words Jesus gave us first, and then I wanna lead us in prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, We come before you this morning and we thank you for what a privilege it is to hallow your name. It means that we want your name to be the most hallowed, the most loved, to have the lion's share and all of the crevices and corners of our lives. And you alone are worthy of that. How can we not love you? For you have so displayed your glory, you are uniquely worthy of our love. Uh, Before there was a world, you set your love upon us, and you are the one who loan us life and breath and all things. Oh God, um, we could not love any other philosophy or human creation of a religion, but we love you. You are the one who birthed all that is good and right. Every pleasure that we enjoy had its origin in you, and you have set your love upon us. And you have borne a cost not only of creating us, but also of redeeming us and rescuing us back through great cost as the pattern of love that somehow Lord displays and brings out your glory uh, even greater than if there had never been a defect or flaw in the world or in us. So we love you and we, we delight to confess that in songs and prayers this morning. And yet we also come confessing that we have not loved you as we ought, And we have often not cared that we are loved so much by you. We come confessing that we have often pursued our own heart's desires instead of yours. Each of us was born into a state of rebellion against you, and each of us deepened that rebellion as soon as we had the ability to do so. And so we confess our sins and our sinfulness and our tendency towards sin, and we ask that you would forgive us. For each and every way that we have turned away from you and sinned against your love, sinned against your light, we bring every one of our failures before you into the presence of your fatherly forgiveness. We thank you that you are such a kind-hearted father that you draw us out in that way. And Father, you promise that you will come and you will renew us. And as you've invited us to bring all manners of our requests before you, O oh God, we pray for those that you have especially laid upon our hearts, that you have knit us together within fellowship. Uh, Lord, um, this week we're especially mindful with anticipation and joy, but with prayer for Christian and Jessica Heslin. We praise you, Lord, for the twin girls that you have entrusted to them, and we pray for the healthy birth and deliverance of these girls and mother. Uh, we pray for the setting apart of these girls And we pray, Lord, for all those who are carrying children right now in the womb, uh, that they might also be perfectly formed and um, those couples protected and provided for and covered with your peace. And we pray for this upcoming generation, this generation that many just departed this room to be taught and instructed. Lord, we sometimes uh, look at the circumstances of the world we're in and we get concerned but thank you that you have already created a generation that you are raising up, that is perfectly situated and formed to contend for the faith of the generation that they are a part of. We pray for your protection, we pray that we would be faithful to them, and we pray that they would learn, O Lord, that they are first of all, uh, citizens of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, and then that they would work for the good of the city, wherever you call them, Oh, God, as we pray for that generation, we do pray for the times that we're in. Uh, We pray um, for the election this week, and particularly we pray for your church and your people's conduct in the midst of that. We pray, Lord, that you would lead each believer uh, and inform uh, their decisions on how to participate with the fullness of your word. We pray not only for the actual decision, but we pray for the frame of heart in which those decisions are made. Many different points of values intersect in our fallen world and in political leadership. And so we pray, O God, that we would hold our convictions with humility, with faithfulness, uh, with a sense of proportion, Lord, that there is one kingdom that shall never fade and one kingdom that lasts forever and one kingdom that deserves our wholehearted allegiance. May that be evident, Lord, in how your church across our nation uh, participates in this coming week. And we do pray, knowing that righteousness exalts the nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people, that your favor and grace would be upon us. We pray we'd live well in this world as faithful neighbors, employees, students, friends, Lord, may we have a good reputation for your sake in the eyes of those around us. Help us to live in a way that displays the gospel and help us be quick to tell other people about Jesus. Help us to carry out your work in this world to serve as your representatives. And now, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us, strengthen this body that is gathered here, strengthen those listening online. Um, Through your word, we stand before you Um, unworthy of you having spoken the words we're going to read to us. And may we rejoice in all you've done and all you've provided for us and all the ways that you would continue to show us your love. Illuminate your word to our hearts and strengthen us with what you have prepared for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our scripture this morning is Ephesians 4, and I'd like you to help me read it together. I was part of that hapless game 4, and I think I loaned some of my voice to it, so I've got this. I promise you, this is just tea. That's all it is. Um, But um, I'm going to have you read with me from Ephesians 4. This is a turning point in the book of Ephesians. We're halfway through this incredible letter, inspired letter from Paul to the church, and he's addressing unity, and there are really just two things that I wanna point out from our text this morning. Uh, He calls us to elevate uh, the key uh, and central truths of the faith, the the truths that make us one family, calls us to elevate those, and secondly, he calls us to exercise uh, certain priority character graces. And you'll see those two things play off each other here. One never fluctuates, the stated truths uh, that Make a Christian a Christian. Uh, but the other, sadly, often fluctuates. Our graces, which he enumerates as um, patience and humility and gentleness and forbearance. So you'll help me if you read these verses together uh, as they're up on the screen, starting with Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Do I have those up on the screen? Great. Right. Let's read together. As a prisoner for the Lord, then... one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. This is a section cheering for unity. And we probably never lived in a time where that is more needed. Uh, Somebody showed me this picture of a desert island uh, with three huts on this island. Uh, and there was a man who was living a Robinson Crusoe existence on this island, uh, and his rescuers came, and he had lived alone on this island, uh, and uh, they asked him, they said, what are these three huts that you've built? Why did you need all three? And he said, well, the first one is where I lived. It's where I you know, would gather food. It's where I made my bed. It's where I slept. It's, it was my house. Uh, but the second one uh, is where I worshiped, Uh, I was sustained through the worship of of the living God, and so I regularly had a place set apart to go and worship. And he said, well, what's the third one? He says, well, that's the place I used to worship before I had a falling out with the way they did things there. (laughs) And we can laugh about that, but we live in an age... Uh, that um, somebody said if there there was a boom um, greeting card industry, it would be the greeting card uh, that would be a sympathy card for lost friendships. I think we all know the polarization and the splintering has been one of the most painful things uh, over these past few years. And the way it's operated in the world, sadly, has been allowed to come into the church. And it's it's not a new thing, but I want to refresh all of us in the new priority. Uh, In verse three, he says, make every effort to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Uh, There are few other places this verb form is even used, but this is the one that is the most, I believe, unique and intense, where he says, make every effort. In other words, he's saying, be zealous for unity. Now, there are identities that compete for our unity, and I I do have to share a boasting rights. Uh, There was a tremendous amount of unity, especially off off the afterglow of game three of the World Series, and I had uh, the privilege of tickets that were gifted to us uh, for game four. And just show you the picture of my son and I, and the seats, I mean, we didn't need binoculars for these seats, it was amazing. We get our rally towel, you know, after all those home runs, uh, we are ready to go. Uh, and there was hardly an ill feeling. I mean, you could feel, nobody even honked at me as I was adjusting my you know, cherished cheesesteak um, you know, and, and preparing for all this in the, in the car on the way in. Uh, it was not as happy on the way home, um, <laughs> but it was really happy on the way in. <laughs> but I don't know whether you know, there was a moment in this game, game four, uh, and it was called Stand Up, to cancer, Did you see that moment? We were all given cards, and there were blanks on some, but others were filled in. And it says, I stand up uh, to cancer for, I think mine said patients. I think uh, my son said for caregivers. Um, and others had blank places on the card. And if you put that, that's the that sea of the crowd. And and I have to admit, um, it was around the fifth inning, I think, and there were some Astro fans near us. I mean, you got to give them courage right but like one of them was actually wearing a space hat kind of annoying um astro astronaut you know um sitting there and you know whatever divisions there were in the crowd at that moment i mean everybody stood the teams came out of the dugout the umpires all of the umpires filed across uh, making a line across the pitcher's mound and they had names on these cards names of um loved ones parents children Um, people who were still in the fight, still in the struggle. And there was like this hush that came across the stadium as we recognized that there was a greater fight going on than our fight in Phil's. Um, And and I think it's, to me it just spoke of, in the sake of just a common humanity, all of a sudden, I mean, I felt a solidarity with Dusty Baker, the manager of the enemy team, right? (laughs) You know, that he could have written his own name on that card because he had colon cancer when he was the manager of the Cincinnati Reds, another righteous team, by the way. Um, The Cincinnati Reds were my team growing up. But um, do you know that every day, this guy who was raised in in black Baptist churches, uh, he found a quiet Catholic church to go in every single day as he fought that battle and managed the Reds and interceded for himself and other people. And when you know some of that story and when you know the bigger picture, it elevates sometimes the more, can we say, sectarian, even almost tribalized loyalties that that suck us in into a bigger story. And and that is what this text is doing. He is saying not that we create unity, but that rather we we move toward a unity um, that has been given by the Spirit. And that we need to make every effort. Again, uh, um, you can find a way to squirm out of those words, but you won't find it very easily. (laughs) Make every effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now, I do want to say this. This unity presumes that the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in a heart. This was one of the failures of what was called the the ecumenical movement in in which it sought to simply unite people without regard whether they held to the things that the Spirit had given to unite us. I I like what um, one of my favorite preachers, Martin Lloyd-Jones of the last century said. He said, um, it was discovered that putting all the ecclesiastical corpses into one graveyard would not bring about a resurrection. (laughs) There's gotta be the Holy Spirit There's got to be the commitment to the the truths of God. But once you are in the family, you have a unity that is spirit-given and that is blood-bought. That's what the bond of peace is. The bond of peace is that we have a price paid for our unity in the body of Christ. And this means that illegitimate division... Sometimes there's, there's a legitimate division that simply recognizes, hey, you don't hold to the one Lord, one faith, one baptism... You are a person I love as as an image-bearer of the Father who has infinite worth, but you are not yet my sibling in Christ. But to be a sibling in Christ means you are are indwelt by the very Spirit of God. And there is, he says, make every effort to preserve that unity that has been given. Now, I want to just recognize that um, this is not placing a burden on somebody who has been abused in a power relationship or has been subject to, Uh, to any kind of uh, abuse that you are, that Jesus would ever put a person who's experienced that in the position of going back under that kind of abuse, back under uh, the lack of uh, confronting that abuse, whether it be in a marriage, whether it be in a a church relationship, there is a kind of um, ability that God gives to be free of bitterness, but not to reconcile and put yourself back subject to that. But thanks be to God, even in this fallen world, most of our relationships are not in that category. And, and so this command of making every, every effort, it amplifies the mission. And it amplifies the, the, uh, the things that will matter and that matter in the, in the two categories that are the really only two categories that will matter at the end of the world. And that will be those who have bowed the knee and have come who love Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, who are part of the treasured people for all eternity, and those that have not. That, that's the only category. When, that's educated, uneducated. Western, Eastern, um, you know, um, poor, wealthy, all the different ethnicities, none of those things will be categories that separate or um, define us ultimately. Uh, and, and so, this category of the body of Christ is to be the one that we extend effort for unity. Uh, and you'll note that he says there is, there is one Lord, one faith. This is what produces one church. Jesus is coming back for one church. It's not subject to the human and historical labels. We mar the unity of Christ when we, when we make it our own brand. We want to put our own brand, even our own brand of history upon it. Um, we've got to unite ourselves because he's coming back for, as someone once said, he said, he, he's coming back for a bride. He's not coming back for a harem. Amen. He's coming back for one unified people of God. And it's so important we recognize that. I remember the first time I went overseas and met uh, the products of mission work that had been uh, working in, in a country for, um, for years, I met people who were very zealous for histories they were never part of. And, and I remember one of the ironies <clears throat> that I discovered is there was missionaries that I was working with were Southern Methodist. And part of the origin of Southern Methodism like Southern Baptist and like Southern Presbyterianism is that those splits happened, And we're, we're, I'm in Africa, those splits happened because the Southern part of that denomination said, we're going to take the side of slavery. And I found people in those countries who are literally wearing uniforms, um, shouting their allegiance to that history who, who didn't know that the history that they were shouting allegiance for was rooted in supporting um, their dehumanization to to be part of the path of chattel slavery. (laughs) Do you see how irrational that is? Uh, None of those things, there are things that we can exalt to a place of distinctive, uh, you know, and take pride in the very thing that God would call us to give away, illegitimate divisions. And and that will not be the bride Jesus comes with. There is is one church, and we need to labor, make every effort to labor for that across all the denominational boundaries. Um, There are are attributes, we are separated brethren, those of us who know Christ in so many different traditions. You know, I love the diversity and the things that we can learn from each other without sacrificing any of the one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Um, I've been around Catholic folk who maybe want to have some Catholic eyes, my Catholic siblings in the faith, someone I've gotten to know, and I've seen a vision for the majesty and the pageantry of Christ, um, and I said, man, I want some Catholic reverence. And I, I, And then maybe to the other side of the faith, I've so benefited from being around charismatic brothers and sisters who have a charismatic heart and respond in their affections to God and are so quick to say, God, I will move in the direction you call me. Uh, I, I want, if I want Catholic eyes, I want a charismatic heart. And I became later familiar with uh, Lutherans. If some of you are Lutherans, the gospel liturgy, so deeply saturated in truth. When you When I was at the Phillies game, I actually thought about this. People were making a run for every, this was before game four, but um, people were making a run for everything that said Phillies on it. I mean, they were selling out and lines were all the way around and out the door and through different seating sections because everybody wanted to be robed with a winner, right? (laughs) They wanted to be robed with the righteousness of like, you know, I may not have followed the Phillies all year, but I'm gonna put on this shirt that makes me look like this is who I am, right? And I thought, that's the grace of the gospel. He doesn't scold people who come at the 11th hour, does he? He, he puts that robe upon us. And I love how Lutheranism, in their liturgy, in their worship, um, the, the, that clothing of, of Lutheran liturgy, and, and some of you know, I've given my, my game. I think there's a lot to be gained from, from those who really thought deeply about the Bible and tried to make sense and bring it all together, that kind of reformed Presbyterian head. Uh, if it doesn't get swelled up with pride, there's some good things to learn there. And there's some places where people who were also filled with the Spirit have brought us some, some sparkling um, attributes to our faith. And then I read the history of the Methodist. Man, their, their zeal and their social conscience. Do you know that John Wesley called out George Whitfield for some duplicity? George Whitfield was such an amazingly gifted man in so many ways, but he had a blind spot about slavery. And John Wesley called him out. Said, no, you cannot use slave labor to build your orphan homes in Georgia. George, stop it. You know? That was, that was the Wesleyan's. Uh, that was that was John Wesley. So powerful. And, and, and so I love their social conscience. And then give me Baptist feet that go all over the globe to preach the gospel. So I want Catholic eyes. I want a charismatic heart. I want Lutheran clothing. I want a Methodist social conscience. I'll keep my Presbyterian head pretty much. And on top of it, give me an Episcopalian wallet. Man, that's awesome. Like, give me that. And then I, I'm set. I'm set. But it's, it's being able to point out the attributes. Of the people who, you know, I've heard it say like, they don't love Jesus the way we love Jesus. And instead of looking askew at that saying, yeah, maybe there's something to be learned. If we hold the one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, if we hold to to those six things that Paul lists in verses four through six, then there's something to hold there. And I'm excited this week, we're gonna take just a little step toward that. I met with Pastor Johnny Johnson of Willowdale Chapel and he's bringing his staff over here to pray with our staff because we're fighting the same battle, Right? (laughs) Uh, the Lord looks down; He sees all believers across this area, Chester County, as and we populate different places of worship, but we're on the same team. We're wearing the same jersey. We already are, and so when we elevate that, it's it's so powerful for churches. And in the Bible, it's also powerful in healing the schism that's in our world, because the church becomes a living tutorial in the manifold wisdom of God, in implanting his image in all sorts of different ethnicities. And the richness of it is not by, by doing what I used to think it was progress to say like, well, I don't see color, I'm color blind. That's, you know, and it was progress from rank racism. That was, like, that was a step in the right direction at the time to say, well, we're just color blind. We're just gonna try to not treat anybody any, any special. But then I saw in the Bible, God says, no, I made these cultures and ethnicities And they are gonna be still part of the reality that brings me distinctive glory in heaven. And when you understand the book of Acts, it is healing all those ethnicities to the point that you know Christians confused everybody. And, And we read about this in Acts chapter 11. It says that they didn't know what to call Christians. You know why they didn't know what to call Christians? They started out calling them like Messianic Hebrews. These are just Jews for Jesus. Then, then they, they started to reconcile with, with Gentiles, and we, we saw uh, them bridge the gap with Greeks. Uh, and then, to everybody's shock, the Samaritans come in. And then um, you've, you've got um, it working that the Italians, man, Italian can be saved. My wife's family's Italian. Um, what a revelation. It, the first Thanksgiving I went to, um, you know, Escarol, you know what that is? Like greens like, no, some of you don't know, but it's like, and, and um, the tone of voices and arguments and stuff. Uh, us in the Midwest, we pretend to love everybody, whether we do or not. <laughs> you know, it's just one step away from the South. You know, the South, bless your heart. In the Midwest, it's just warmth. We don't say bless your heart, but we, you know, you know what I mean? But the Italians getting saved and, and they're becoming one family and um, in Acts chapter 11, it said they didn't know what to call these people because they were breaking down all of the ethnic um, skin tone divisions. Uh, race was used even then as a construct to oppress people, but you know there is no race except the human race. And so you, you had the gospel come in and they said, we don't know what to call them. And so in Acts chapter 11, verse 29, it says the disciples were first called Christians Because they said, these are just messianic people. We don't know what to make of them. And they took up the first offering in all the history of the world to send it to the Jews. These were Gentiles, they'd never been done. So we can't figure these people out. That's what the gospel is intended to do. It's intended to heal all those ethnicities. It's called to heal all our political skirmishes. Politics is just downwind from the truth. It's temporal policy decisions. They're not unimportant but they're not ultimate identities for us. And we know that in Jesus' day, there were different ideas of what the political solutions were. You had Matthew the zealot, who was basically saying, or Matthew the tax collector, who basically sold out the Jewish nation and was funding the occupation. That's why they hated tax collectors. It wasn't just like how The IRS is not highly favored in a poll in our country. No, no, no. Their tax collectors were actually taking their money and they were giving it to the occupying forces, right? So that's Matthew. Uh, And then you have Simon the Zealot whose his political solution was let's kill him. Let's organize, let's kill him. Jesus in his wisdom put them both into one band of 12. And some other identity, I mean, they, they could have, they would have never gotten off the ground. Some other identity, a kingdom identity that dwarfed the allegiances to both of those strategies and actually removed those two strategies with a strategy of love. I mean, they both had to repent. We know Matthew repented. They both had to repent of that because there was a strategy of love. And they were saying, what will bring about the well being of everyone through exalting Jesus? And so. Jesus comes to heal those divisions. There is no one right way to sort out what the best policy is to serve all people and accomplish the right ends. So we have to hold those with humility. And then you think of the economic divisions. There's never been more economic division in our world and even in the way things are felt and impact people in our world. Uh, The pandemic brought what economic... What economists tell us was this K-shaped recovery. Usually a recovery is just like, okay, everything's getting a little better for everybody. You know, The, 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 rising, sh- uh, the rising waters are going to lift everybody's boat. For, but for at least the first time in my lifetime, they call it this K-shaped recovery, where they say, well, things are going to get better. If you have a lot of money, you have more money. If you don't have money, you're going to be in a more powerless situation. And uh, one illustration of that is housing. If you already owned a house or owned land, price of your house elevated, okay, oh goody. But if you're trying to get merge into that market, if you're just making it, if you don't have any money, housing got way out of reach, right? And, and so this K-shaped recovery causes there to be different anxieties and levels. And so, again, the gospel comes in and, and says those, those identities, not just voting for self-interest or in living for self-interest, but finding a way that will, will lift everybody in this world that's so fragmented. And then I think generational um, divisions. Generational divisions. Um, Even, you know, I experienced it as a pastor, the way almost every time somebody used the word millennial uh, was used with a kind of question mark or disdain or, you know, in a generation that was raising some really great questions that had some powerful creativity to give. And this this generational disdain sometimes would come in the church. And whenever that happened, I'd be like, oh, is this the way we greet an upcoming generation? They're no longer upcoming, right? They're in their 40s now, <laughs> you know, but, but is this the way we greet an upcoming generation? We, we have to heal that because Psalm 145 says, one generation shall declare your works to another generation. And so all those other things have to be dwarfed. What are they dwarfed by? They're dwarfed by the mission of the church. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. They're, they're dwarfed by the identity we have. They're dwarfed by the fact that we are, we are called for a kingdom that will last forever uh, in which all of the generations are called to seek his face. God says to the next generation, seek my face. And his vision is that that generation say, your face I will seek. And we want to help the youngest generation contend for their generation. And we, we can only do that to be together is so much better than to be apart. So that's, that's the power of unity that should be ringing out because again, as we saw in three verse 10, we are the church, if you are part of the church, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, you were called to put on a tutorial that teaches the angels the power of God's wisdom. And what I, I showed you a couple of weeks ago, the wisdom is the wisdom of the cross the angels say, what is this cross thing? How does it affect on the human heart? And it says that the church is the living tutorial to say to angels who cannot sin, who don't experience being unreconciled to each other, to say, this is how the cross functions. This is how God gets into people's lives and he, and he makes this new society, the one new, he calls it in Ephesians 2, the one new person, he says, He's forming this one person, one body that is gonna even instruct the angels into the power of what God does. That's elevating the essentials. And, and so those never change. What gets in the way? What gets in the way often are our fluctuating graces or fluctuating responsive character. And he, he lists four here. Um, and, and you'll note it in the text, he says that, um, that we are to be completely humble. And humility again is—it's not thinking less of yourself; it's just thinking of yourself less in the whole equation. And humility is—is is really the virtue of how you hold your advantages. Um, if you look at these these three, he says, "Be completely humble, be gentle, and be patient with one another." Um, patience is how you look at other people's faults or other people's weaknesses. That's what calls forth our patience. Humility is how you hold your strengths. And when you exercise humility toward your strengths, um, you don't simply look at yourself in the one category of strength, you're you're able to see strengths other places, you're able to see narratives that that make the subject of the storyline not you, and then patience is called forth for how you view other people. Patience means you recognize that it, you may have a strength that developed over time. You know, um, there are certain situations that we can give ourselves to and lose all time in, but, but if we are waiting on another person, right? Do you, I, do you have one of these? I have a stopwatch. It's really useful. When my wife goes shopping and goes into a store at the mall, I get out and I say, okay, you got five minutes. And she loves it. And um, boy, she's so affectionate when I do that. She just, you know, like, honey, I'm gonna give you a... no, I'm just kidding, right? Uh, stopwatches, but we have them. We have internal stopwatches. And um, when we've experienced the grace of Christ, what we need to do to the stopwatch is we need to throw it down and we need to stomp on it and say that in the church of Christ we don't have stopwatches for people. You come into CLC, you come with all kinds of variety of hurts, habits, hang-ups is what our celebration recovery would say. Or different convictions. You've got as much time as you move at the pace that the Spirit of God is moving. We're not trying to enact a pace for the Holy Spirit to conform you to our already preconceived ideas and categories. You come here, we are we actually are anticipating that you're gonna have some things to teach us if you come from a unique and different counterpoint. And, and so humility, patience, and gentleness. You know what? Um, I heard a definition of gentleness from Tim Keller this week. He says it's gentleness, he says, is gospel baked in tone <laughs> because if you if you have been baked in the gospel if you've been marinated in the gospel what is going to come out of you is gentleness because you think oh god so graciously dealt with us uh, what mattered to jesus in the all of the people the way he treated them and the one thing about jesus that just you know We all have our moments where we say, is this Christian thing true? And for me, when I get in that kind of funk, is this Christian thing true? What heals me and lifts my spirit up the most is the life of Jesus. Because I look at the life of Jesus and say, nobody has yet to find a word that he could have improved the way he loved people with or a gesture that he could have done that would have improved the way he loved people with. And it stood the test of 20 centuries. All cultures, all all places and here 's what mattered to Christ to Christ, what mattered more than where people come from was the direction in which they were headed, and Jesus always assumed if if, if he 's in the room and he always is <laughs> that there was the opportunity for a change of direction and so it didn 't matter where people came from, and the humility of forgiveness you know it takes humility to forgive someone else when you 've already been forgiven and or or not. It takes humility to forgive someone else. Uh, the opposite of a, a humble, forgiving spirit is the older brother spirit. You know, the older brother spirit in the prodigal son. When the younger prodigal came home, he was not happy that the robe and the ring and the fatted calf were given to his younger brother before. He might, he might have been okay if there had been restitution, if there had been a timeout in the near ancient Near Eastern world the whole community, when they saw a scandal like that, expected for there to be a public report and say, here's the kind of probation that we're giving this person. And what the father did in the parable of the prodigal son, he he did this kind of scandalous public party to basically say, if you're on the other side of the younger prodigal who's coming home, you're on the other side of me. That's what that feast did. The prodigal's on the other side. Right? The, uh, but he comes in and he's welcomed and he's given this lavish welcome. The older brother, as the parable ends, he's got his arms folded and he's outside really looking proud. Um, this, is, this is the power of that story. Jesus doesn't tie it all up and resolve it. Because to forgive and welcome the younger brother who's coming home, really to be a forgiven younger brother, it's very hard to be the returning prodigal without eventually turning in to the older brother. Right? We all struggle with that. You say, "Yeah, I was the prodigal. Now I'm the older brother." But it takes humility for forgiveness, and and we can often be a, a place that we add division. Uh, to people's lives we separate them out because we want to sit in judgment on repentance and miserly meter out any meter out any welcome and any effort to see them welcome back and and that's the older brother's spirit so to be completely humble means that you will be a safe space for the person who has not yet figured out what repentance looks like and you can engage them um To be completely gentle means the tone of voice in which you discuss things. You know, we ought to be a place where you can discuss disagreements without drawing blood, that you can disagree without being disagreeable because there is this shield of humility and of gentleness and of patience. Again, no timetable, no timetable. That we join together um, both love and grace, which should not be difficult for um, spirit-filled believers because the spirit is called the spirit of truth and the first fruit of the Holy Spirit is the fruit of love, that those those exist perfectly when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And we need that because not only is this world not a friction-free place, but the church, if if you've lived in the church, it's not a frictionless place. (laughs) But Jesus, as he brings us the Holy Spirit, he brings us a different kind of, a different kind of life. And so, as we prepare to go to the Lord's Supper, I'm gonna invite you to examine your life and say, how have you handled the frictions, the fallings outs, the conflicts that God has put in front of your path? I would simply ask you this question as we come to the broken bread and the poured out body of Christ. Uh, what if God handled the conflict with you the way you are handling conflict with someone else? What if God handled the conflict with you the way you are handling a conflict with someone else? What if God had just ignored us? What if he blocked us? And I'm not talking about abuse here. What, what if God ignored us or blocked us or just minimized us, um, neglected us, never dealt with? Never took the vulnerability to confront our sin. That really is what the cross is. God confronting our sin, but also taking the cost of it upon himself. What if God just raged against us, blamed us, and then walked away or never talks to us or refused to pay the cost of repair? What we see in God is he elevated what was most important to him, and you know what was most important to God was redemption. And yes, that's where justice and love come together at the cross, and both justice and love are magnified. God doesn't say, I'm just gonna relax my standards, no. But neither does God say, I'm gonna stop loving these people. He brings them together in a glorious unity. And friends, when, when a church lives that out in community, that's where the power of God lights upon it. That's where the, God, the power of God lights upon it. I was praying over this message, and, and one thing I, I felt, really strongly about in, in praying over this message is that um, we need to see that unity and unity in the Bible has, has been a, a thing that forms us so that we can receive the Spirit of God. It forms us so that we can receive the Spirit of God. It's, it certainly is the unity of the Spirit, but um, we don't need the filling of the Holy Spirit in this sense, to, to have the unity of the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit comes upon the church when we obey and we unite. And you see this in the book of Acts when it says they were the believers were together in one accord. This is how they are described, that they were in one accord, and the one accord brought believers together, and Christ said, I want you to pray. There is a power of prayer, that as we move the compass and the magnet of our heart moves toward God, it brings a kind of one accord nature. Again, that's, that's why I think it's important for churches and different church leaders to pray together and churches to be praying together. But it was as they were in one accord that the spirit of God fell. Um, we see this in Psalm 133, this, a psalm of unity. And the words of that psalm say, behold how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And it describes it like an anointing of oil upon the head. And it says, um, it is like the dew of Hermon was falling on Mount Zion. They depended upon dew to, to provide for the vegetation. And the last verse of that psalm is the kicker. Here's what, you, what I want you to think about. It says, for there the Lord bestows the blessing, even life evermore. It's like God is waiting. The Spirit of God is waiting. He says, I want to bless you. I want to bless you with my spirit. I want to pour out my spirit upon a church, upon an individual. Says, but if you're not walking in unity, you're asking me to energize and resource something that I didn't create. You're, you're asking me to, to energize and resource something that grieves me by um, the divisions and the schisms that it continues to manifest. He's saying, I want something that is united and then I will breathe my life upon it. I will breathe my life upon it. And it begins with each one of us saying, God, I I want that life in my life. I I wanna be a pastor and an individual that just heals the divisions and schisms between people and between churches and believers There is joy there. There is fullness there. And I believe there there is a sense, if I'm understanding scripture and the flow of the book of Acts together, that God is saying, I cannot fill what does not represent me. I cannot fill what is not healing those divisions. I cannot empower you unless you take that necessary step. I don't know what that is gonna look like in your life, but the spirit of God just laid on my heart for you all to say, before we go to the Lord's table, to do this kind of inventory and say, where in my relationship with other believers have I allowed some division, illegitimate division, division of affection to say, and I don't have affection for that person anymore to come apart, and, or in the family, or in those places, and to say, what kind of walking across the room initiative is Jesus calling me to take that will somehow look like what he did for me? So I'm gonna invite you into just a season of of prayer, um, of confession around that. And as I invite you to this meal, um, this is the table of the Lord Jesus Christ and it is for all of those who have received the unity of the spirit through the proclamation of Christ. And so we're gonna confess our faith, and I'm gonna invite you to stand with the church around the world, the church on every continent, the church in virtually every kind of legitimate denominational fellowship has confessed to these twelve truths. And they were called the Apostles' Creed because of the twelve apostles, but there are twelve truths that really define the family of believers. And if you hold those truths in an honest heart, and if you're walking in the light of Christ, then the Lord, He wants your fellowship around this table. So let's stand and confess our faith. With the church down through the ages, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. If you'd like to be seated, I'm going to lead you in this prayer of confession. I believe it's a couple centuries old from the church in France. And let's take these words upon our lips and then God may move them upon our heart. Here are these words, let's pray them as much as we can as we read them for that first time. O oh God, whose will it is that all your children should be one in Christ, we pray for the unity of your church. Pardon all our pride and our lack of faith, of understanding and of charity, which are the causes of our divisions. Deliver us from narrow-mindedness, from our bitterness, from our prejudices. Save us from considering as normal that which is a scandal to the world and an offense to your love. Teach us to recognize the gifts of grace among all those who call upon you and confess the faith of Jesus Christ, our Lord. On those two terms... A life that takes your stand on the truths of the Apostles' Creed, and then a heart that readily repents. Um, We are invited to table fellowship with Jesus Christ. So anyone who that applies to, you are more than welcome. The Lord desires your fellowship, and he will strengthen us all as we gather around this table. Um, So the words of institution Jesus gave is on the night he was betrayed, our Lord took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. And in the same way, our Lord took the cup, and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, shed for the forgiveness of the sins of many. And as often as we drink it, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Um, Our servers, if they would come forward now, uh, and we have uh, intinction, the dipping of the bread here, and then we have gluten-free bread, the bread and the cups on this side, and come forward as you are led, as we sustain ourselves with this, the table of the Lord. So good to be in the house of God this morning. Um, I think that extra hour of sleep did us all good. Which we could do that every week. Um, I don't say this very often, and you you can hold me accountable for this. But I am going to say it, and I think you it generally always be true. If it's not, I'll own it. You want to move mountains to be here next week. Um, this is not just your ordinary guest. Um, Pastor Ivan Mamariri, and it's just kind of like, yeah, you could, you could listen to Joshua Bell play violin. He's the best violinist of the world on tape, or you could be present. I'd rather be present. Uh, Some got to see Michael Jordan play basketball in person. I can watch the tapes. You know? I'd rather be present. Um, you will not want to miss next week. I can't tell you exactly all that will happen. I can just tell you every time that man shows up, uh, and we're blessed to have him here. It's, it's gonna be a powerful time, as we participate in Global Orphan Sunday, and are part of a church around the world trying to address this plague. And I know we already have hearts doing that in some powerful ways, but I think you'll get a different narrative and perspective that sometimes standing up for the marginalized puts you on the wrong side of dictators and puts your life on the line, and that's what happened, and he lives to tell that story and inspire us. Um, But now you're all, put it in your day timers. Next week, you're here. Um, Lift up your hearts and receive this blessing. Now may Christ dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may know the height and length and breadth and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think or imagine, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And God's people together said, amen. Amen.
1: I'm alive
2: The king